1: Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day, your one-stop shop for all things NFL, college football, and NFL Draft. I am Michael Rockman, joined by Nick Durst, and if you're just joining us from all the MOV trade deadline chaos, then, you know, maybe if you know us well enough, you know, Nick's a Mets fan, I'm a Cubs fan, so Ian Tobias here. Go Cubs uh, go. Go now we're Cubs go. Nick, how's it going?
2: Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs aren't going to win today or anytime soon. I have to do it. Michael, this is just my head spinning right now. We had the NBA draft last night. We had an absolutely horrible trade in basketball where Westbrook's going to Lakers for nothing, which pisses me off. And we got MLB, we got the Yankees getting everybody, which is annoying. Me. The Dodgers disgustingly getting Scherzer and Trey Turner. And then we got NFL. We're back in the swing of things here. And right away, it looks like that uh, that big acquisition by the Colts this offseason is not working out uh, as Carson Wentz is indefinitely out, and uh, that's not good, especially since they got
1: rid of Duke Absolutely. You know, Wentz is really going to make or break the Colts for this season, and if he is unable to stay healthy and it's already off to a terrible start, then the Colts are going to struggle, and I know that they have a great roster and, you know, maybe not – Wentz is going to carry them anywhere, but Wentz has to be in place in order for them to kind of have a sustained offense. And right now, you know, with the injuries that are in place, it sounds like he's not going to miss a lot of time, but still you hate to see that with a first year QB in your system.
2: Yeah. And uh, the other big QB news is as we suspected all along, the Sean Watson and Aaron Rodgers in camp with their original teams And the Watson scenario is very tricky because he's definitely going to get suspended, I would think, this season. So who's the Texans want to trade him, but they want so much. Who's going to trade for a guy who's going to miss maybe half the season? Uh, Packers, they got Rodgers, and they needed him. He doesn't really seem too pleased to be there, Um, but it's going to be fascinating with with Rodgers, Michael, because I think that the Packers – definitely are back in the the, AFC, the NFC championship game this year. Um, Got to make them one of the favorites. And wouldn't it be something if the Packers win the Super Bowl and then Aaron Rodgers leaves and goes plays somewhere else?
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting about this Aaron Rodgers situation for me is that personally I view this tension that's going on with the front office and Aaron Rodgers to maybe increase the odds that the Packers do actually win the Super Bowl this year. And I know for a lot of people, they hear that and they think that's ridiculous. Why would a negative thing create a better result? But we've seen it happen time and time again. And I think the motivation could definitely help out the Packers. Now, I do think that maybe a season of chaos where things just start to tumble and everything falls apart is more likely as well. But I do think that the overall chaos that's going on right now could cause a little bit of a um, team unity, a little bit of chip on the shoulder for guys like Devonte Adams and Aaron Rodgers to where really things just get going at a high level. And we could see the Packers kind of hoist host Lombardi almost as a uh, middle finger to their GM, even though it, it wouldn't really be that way. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I really do think it it's just has one sided
2: tension. I mean, Rodgers isn't happy because obviously they drafted love. Um, but so the Packers are the Super Bowl that I think they. The, the GM does not care. He's keeping his job. Um, yeah, I think I'd pick – right now I might pick the Packers to win the Super Bowl. I think they're going to have that chip, like you said. Rodgers is going to be great. Uh, Adams playing for a contract, so I think Kelly motivated as well. They still have some, some question marks, but uh, it's just, you know, looking at, at the rest of the NFC, I know you love the Rams. I have some questions about them with Stafford in his first year. We both like the Bucks, but as we know, going back to back is pretty much impossible these days. So you know, those are probably the three top dogs. Uh, no one's coming out of the NFC East and winning the championship. Bucks are going to probably coast to the one seed, I would think, because the South is going to be pretty bad. Uh, Falcons will be improved, but they're going to the Saints. I think are going to be atrocious. So they're going to win a lot of games, and they're going to have a good season. Packers look at the, you know, they'll be going for the one seat as well. And the West, everyone's going to bang up, bang into each other and going after that one seat. probably going to not happen. So that's be interesting, but you know, I, I think the Packers are, are primed here to make a run once again, and, and hopefully get another Super Bowl ring for our Rogers. Uh, and again, Rogers will say if, he, if he's a free agent, he'll get paid a lot. Uh, Another guy who's going to get paid after this season is Josh Allen with the Bills. Uh, Currently they're trying to maybe have some talks about an extension, but when it's all said and done, Michael, Josh Allen's going to be the second highest paid uh, quarterback in the league, which would mean he's the second highest paid quarterback of all time. He's not going to match that Patrick Mahomes contract, but he's going to get paid a lot of money, Michael. And that's going to be interesting to see. What that does to the Bills? We talked about it last year. How we think the Chiefs are going to—they're not going to have their same core two years from now, three years from now. The Bills are are building a great nucleus around Allen, and it's really because of the salary-friendly contract for rookies. But once Allen takes up a lot of that cap, I wonder if it'll be challenging for the the Bills to continue building the successful football team.
1: Yeah, and we've seen that time and time again, where building around a rookie QB seems fairly easy. And then once the time comes to pay them, you know, we see some of the roster fall apart. Uh, Very interesting draft class overall with guys like Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, also in line to get an extension. And then, you know, even the curious case of Sam Darnold, if he does kind of take those next steps for Carolina, what's going to happen in regards to his contract and what would they be willing to pay him? And, you know, it's just going to be something to keep an eye on. Obviously, uh plenty of talent coming from that class. And all these teams should be very happy to keep their quarterbacks if they play well. But, you know, the, the numbers definitely going to have a long-term effect that we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, another key player that I wanted to talk about was Xavier Howard requesting a trade from the Miami Dolphins. Absolutely huge piece that could really turn things around, been linked to teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers, Dallas Cowboys, and many other around the league. How big of a piece do you think Xavier Howard is for a team to potentially shift their roster to a Super Bowl contender? It's huge. I mean, I, it,
2: was he the best cornerback in the league last season? Probably.
1: He's so, probably top five at least. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's tremendous. If you can get him, that's tremendous. But uh, these these players are just not understanding it. This is not the time to request a trade. <laughs> Uh, at the end of July, it's pointless to make a trade if you're if you're a team. You call all the cards. So you know what? I, I think Howard is gonna play this season, uh, with the Dolphins. Maybe he gets traded after week four or five if if the Dolphins are collapsing or something. But I mean, does he ever consider maybe that he's he's so good because Brian Flores is is a tremendous defensive schemer? I mean, his career has taken off ever since Flores got to Miami.
1: Yeah, I think that they both definitely benefit each other. And I think that Howard will be a dolphin for the remainder of the season. Um, you know, once the season comes to an end, maybe we'll see him get shipped off. And then they're able to kind of plan and assess better what happens with their defense, especially at the cornerback spot. I do love Igbenogany, but I, I think they would want more depth in that back in that secondary. So I think Howard is going to stick around because that's a key building block for their defense. And especially right now when all the money's as tied up as it is, you're just narrowing down the overall trade field and overall opportunity to really get full value for him. So keeping him for a season and then trading him off for probably a first-round pick, I would assume, as long as uh, performance keeps up, then that's absolutely the better move in my eyes for the Miami Dolphins.
2: Yes, and uh, sticking to the AFC East, all gas, no breaks, but the Jets were braked for quite a while. They finally, finally signed Zach Wilson, uh, he missed the first phase of camp. Just a bad luck for the organization. Did the same thing with Sam Darnold a few years ago. And to get into this offset language type of stuff is nonsense because if you're worried about, oh, what if we cut him in three years, you know, he's gonna get the money or whatnot, you shouldn't because if you're Joe Douglas, if you're cutting Zach Wilson in three years, you were fired. You're not going to be there. So just get it done, sign the contract. Very Jetsy-like to have this nonsense. But now he's in camp. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm seeing reports here that Newton and, and Mac Jones are getting along pretty well uh, in Foxborough. Uh, I, I do think there is a, competi- a QB competition, but I think Newton definitely has a, has a leg up at this point. Uh, I think f- for sure in September we're gonna we're gonna see see Newton playing for for all those games.
1: Yeah, a lot of these QB competitions, there's a certain aspect that's just the safer play. So starting Newton and then eventually going on to Mac is a lot easier than, say, starting Mac, kind of already burning Newton. And then if you bench Mac, then you're kind of benching the guy that's supposed to be your future. So it's just way better to definitely try to start Newton out. And then if Mac overtakes him, then you can make that move. Uh, similar for the situation in Denver, you're going to start Drew Locke because Drew Locke is your you know QB that you still want to kind of have faith in and believe in. And if you move on from Drew Locke later on, that makes it a lot better of a move than moving on from him right away, killing his confidence. And then if you have to go back to him, there's really no trust there. So for a lot of these situations, it seems kind of set in stone. Uh, The real QB competition would be probably New Orleans, where really it's a toss-up to go either way, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, New Orleans, I I think they will go with with Winston. Um, But – uh, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting just to see who comes out of this training camp, these training camps healthy, uh, and I'm including Jimmy Garoppolo in that because there's even like a little injury with him, that I think that's going to open the door for Trey Lance to actually maybe start Week One. But I think I think as long as Garoppolo is healthy, he's going to get the majority. Uh, of the games this season. And I, I do think for a team that wants to win now, Garoppolo gives them the best chance this season.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. I think Trey Lance is a phenomenal prospect. I'm very high on him, but I think letting him get the chance to really sit back, take it all in, kind of grow outside of game setting. I think is definitely worth it. I think he could find success starting right away. I think he has the athleticism to make it work, but at the same time, you know, I don't see any flaws in just having him wait a little bit while Jimmy is your starting QB. And if Jimmy happens to get hurt, then, you know, it's time for Lance to step up, similar to Herbert in Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, and obviously Garoppolo has had injuries uh, over the past few years, or so even last year. So we'll, we'll see what monitor, how to monitor that. Uh, I think we are both in agreement here, though, that the, most likely the first rookie quarterback to start this year Uh, outside of Trevor Lawrence, of course, and Zach Wilson, which we know are going to start from day one, would be Davis Mills with the Texans.
1: Yeah, I think there's certainly a chance there. And I assume that Tyrod Taylor would get the start if Deshaun Watson's just entirely out. But really what's going to happen there could quickly turn around to where Davis Mills ends up starting QB. And I think they've kind of structured their whole roster around the idea that well, maybe we don't have our greatest starters in place, but we have a lot of positions that go multiple pieces deep, and hopefully we can find long-term depth or long-term starters in that, pr- in that process. So, you know, at the QB spot, they're hoping Davis Mills can really push off any need for the quarterback position, but at the very least, I think they could hopefully find success in getting him as a backup in that team.
2: Yeah, I think he's got to get a lot of reps here, uh, a lot of playing time in the preseason.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of pieces for that Houston Texans offense come from the tight end spot. You know, Daniel Fells, Kali Waring. There's plenty of pieces all around, especially starting tight end Jordan Akins. But there's some tight ends in this class as well, that if the Texans are sitting low in that draft class, especially second, third round, they can find some valuable pieces. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is the tight end position. With so many pieces in this class, I just want to give a heads up real quick, just previewing the class, that this is one of the deeper tight end classes that we will have in quite some time. And that's not to mention some of the later risers that will inevitably come up with a good combine, with a full season of opportunity, with a chance to really step up going with opportunity that they maybe haven't had before. So five sleepers for this upcoming season at the tight end spot that we're going to talk about to start this show off at number one, we're talking about Baylor cup, the tight end out of Texas A&M. If you've heard about Texas A&M tight end, Jalen Weidermeyer is the one that's getting all the hype and it's absolutely warranted. Weidermeyer is a stud, but Baylor cup has been a stud tight end recruit and then entered Texas A&M two years of injuries, very much hyped though, very much getting a lot of love around the Texas A&M circles if he's able to kind of step in and really play healthy all year, showcase his athleticism, showcase his size, we could be looking at this Texas A&M group similar to the Iowa tight end duo of Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson. And that's a very high praise. Obviously Baylor Cup would have to make major strides, but the opportunity and the athleticism is absolutely there. Hopefully, regardless of what stock ends up happening for his draft value, I do want to see Baylor Cup healthy because anyone wishing injuries on anyone just seems to be a bad person. We want Baylor Cup to get the chance to really prove himself to be the tight end and recruit that we've been hearing about for quite some time. The number two sleeper tight end to talk about is Joshua Simon out of Western Kentucky. You're looking for a move tight end, and this is a guy that maybe in the later rounds could absolutely really impress you. Someone that I think has really not gotten the – Benefits of being in a better passing offense this year, having Bailey Zappa QB, I think, could be huge for his opportunity to really thrive and succeed in, in terms of production. He moves around the field well, he's got a solid frame. I think he's about 6'3, 240 pounds, 6'5, 240 pounds is what he's listed at, but I think he's a little bit shorter, probably six, four, six, three, 6'3. Really a dominant tight end, put up 33 catches last year in just 10 games and really the overall season that he put together in a Western Kentucky passing offense that was scrambled with so many differing QBs. They started two different guys for large parts of the season. He was the number three receiver, and I think in terms of production, that's only going to go up as the season goes along, and we're going to see Joshua Simon really start to get the attention of scouts across the nation. The number three tight end is Payne Durham, the tight end out of Purdue, a huge opportunity for him to really step up and find a chance to succeed. Now, one of the big question marks for Durham is who's going to be the QB for Purdue. Aiden O'Connell and Jack and Jack Plummer are supposedly in a QB competition. Obviously, if you've been watching the show, you know that I'm a huge fan of Jack Plummer. I think he's the stud of that team, but Payne Durham in just a few games, put up 16 catches 166 yards and three touchdowns. Now that's not great production for a guy who played six games, but I do think that he showcased plenty of ability to move around the field. Very nice size. I really like his frame at 6'5", 255 pounds. Seems well-rounded and really got upfield quite well. He's not just a tight end that's going to catch, dump off passes. He can get upfield and create plays. And I think with that and with another season, he could really step up and be the star tight end. And we've seen it before with Bryson Hopkins for Purdue. The number four tight end is someone that sadly has sustained a very harsh injury that could have him out for quite some time, but he's still on my potential risers because if he does get in at the end of the season, I think the attention is definitely there for opportunity. Keaton Upshaw out of Kentucky, a stud tight end that really caught my attention early on in the preseason. And I've been on him ever since six, 245 pounds, a great receiving tight end has A great wingspan, catches outside of his frame extremely well. Very strong flexibility and ability to really just create plays after the catch. Now, he needs to develop as a blocker, but I think the frame is very promising. Keaton Upshaw, though, had a huge injury that's going to keep him out and could stunt his development a little bit. Going to be a junior redshirt, so he definitely will likely return to school. But if he is able to get healthy and get back around that week six, week seven area and really start to get into that rotation in the second half of the season. I think Keaton Upshaw could get love in the draft cycle and really start to fly up boards at number five. We're talking about Brenton strange, the tight end out of Penn state. Pat Furmuth was the main guy last year. And obviously He went pretty high, but I'm actually very intrigued by Brenton Strange, a very athletic tight end that moves around the field extremely well. His size isn't going to blow you away. He's 6'3", 250 pounds, but a very nice move tight end. In the game where he really got the opportunity, he started against Illinois and had four receptions, 31 yards, and a touchdown. Obviously, that's not highlight material or anything, but it's still a very good game. And I think with the full-time starting spot for Penn State, We could see a great opportunity for him to really kind of establish himself as a name in the overall college football scheme of things. And as the draft comes closer, we could see Strange start to get some love as well. Now, we can talk about these top five sleepers all day, but the real attention that you're going to have on this class is probably the guys in the top 10, and that's reasonable. So for number 10... We're talking about Cole Turner, the tight end out of Nevada. Look, Carson Strong, you can talk about him all day. As a college football quarterback, he's one of the best in the country, and Cole Turner is one of his go-to guys. Obviously, Nevada has plenty of weapons all around this offense. Romeo Dubs is one of the best receivers in the nation, but Cole Turner stands 6'6", 240 pounds, had fifty or 49 catches last year, 605 yards and nine touchdowns, really a playmaker that got around the field when they got into the red zone. This was Carson Strong's go-to guy. And I think that speaks very well to his ability. As we get closer to the draft cycle, you want to see guys that are really able to kind of come in and be your red zone targets, but also the athleticism to kind of stick on the field, and make plays in the midfield passing game, in the long field passing game. And that's what Cole Turner does a little bit lower on him compared to consensus from what I've seen. I think a lot of people have him higher, but whole Turner still has a little bit of ways to go. Obviously though, with a passing attack, like with Carson strong, the opportunity is certainly there for him to prove himself. Hopefully we can see a little bit more as a blocker, but as a move tight end and the NFL's kind of evolution towards that position, we may not even need to see it at number nine got Jeremy Rucker. And really what sells me on him is his blocking ability. A little bit of the safer option in terms of you're going to find a way to have this guy on the field early on. Now, the question mark is what can he do as a receiver? For Ohio State last year, in five games, he only had 13 catches, but he did put up five touchdowns. He was a consistent red zone target, really has a nice frame and nice size ability to kind of box out and create his own windows. 6'5, 253 pounds. Again, one of the better blockers in this class. I think with a full season as the starting tight end for Ohio State, especially with C.J. Stroud stepping into the starting spot, well, assume C.J. Stroud. Now You know Quinn Ewers may reclassify and try to be the starting QB. They have some other guys that are competing as well. But it seems to be C.J. Stroud, and I think Jeremy Rucker could be the consistent tight end and safety blanket for him, and that will be huge for whoever's QB for Ohio State. At number eight, we got Charlie Collar, one of the best tight ends in college football and probably the best tight end in the Big 12, a great receiving tight end that really moves around the field. He's got great size and great ability to kind of adjust his body to make it to where he's catching inside of his frame, and I think that's huge. He has a wonderful frame, 6'6", 257 pounds, put up 51 catches as a sophomore, put up 44 in 11 games just this past season, now coming back for a senior year, I assume we're going to see similar, if not better, numbers. Obviously, we talked about Xavier Hutchinson last week, but having Charlie Kohler, Brees Hall in that offense, Brock Purdy is set up for success, and Charlie Kohler is going to be a huge piece of the Iowa Cyclones offensive success this season. At number six or number seven, we got Jake Ferguson. And really, Ferguson is someone that I'm a little upset with because I really wish he would have declared. I get he's a Wisconsin life for his grandfather is the athletic director. But for Ferguson, I still really enjoy his tape. One of the more consistent tight ends out there. I think he is one of the safest prospects that is available in this draft. You saw in the first week of the season, he took off against Illinois, putting together a three touchdown performance. But just because he didn't dominate the rest of the season doesn't mean that he's not a quality tight end. You know, Michigan, he still put up four touch, or four exceptions, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Had some other good games over the course of the season, but a little bit of a fall off in terms of production. Still, the overall performance for me was enough. Jake Ferguson is going to be someone that still needs to grow his game, and I think the age – could possibly hold him back a little bit in terms of eyes of evaluators with a tight end class like this. But the overall skill set I think is safe to where you're looking at this guy on day three, but he's probably a safe lock to really get into a rotation early in his career. At number six, we got Austin Stogner out of Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler has plenty of weapons as disposal, but there may not be one that is better this season than Austin Stogner. Obviously, guys like Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, there's players out there, but Stogner put up 26 catches in just eight games last year, 422 yards and three touchdowns, offers a impressive 6'6", 262-pound frame, and you look at him in the photo right there, you can still tell that he's pretty lanky. He could definitely add some weight, and he would still move around the field extremely well he is very fast, moves extremely well, very nimble to where the motion that you see from him to contribute in that tight end game is going to be there. Obviously, you know, when you're looking at tight ends, you want to see the blocking aspect. And I don't think he offers that as much. He's not Mark Andrews, but there's similarities to like Mark Andrews, who came out of Oklahoma, where you kind of see more of that movability as the tight end. And for Stogner, I think a team will still love him enough. To where he's going to be talked about in that day two range and contribute early while he still tries to develop as a blocker. At tight end five, we got Kate and probably one of the more well-rounded tight ends in this class. If you watched Washington's offense last year, first and foremost, I apologize that you had to go through that because it, it was a tough one. I'll love to the huskies out there that tune into destination draft day, but it was rough to watch Otten though, in four games, put up 18 catches, 258 yards and three touchdowns. He was the most productive weapon in that Washington offense. Otten is a very dependable blocker, but he can do it in the passing game as well. Kind of has that old school look, not wearing any gloves on his hands. I kind of like it, a little bit of swagger to him, but you know, in terms of well-rounded play, this guy is going to be someone that I think probably gets slept on a bit to where he's a fourth round pick, fifth round pick, but you're going to find ways where this guy makes it onto the field. And I I really don't see how he wouldn't at least find a a role as a blocking tight end, but he's able to catch the ball. He's well-rounded. He's safe. And you know, that's exactly what you want out of tight end spot. And if you kind of are looking for the older school tight ends, you know, the guys that are willing to kind of get down and dirty in the blocking game, really kind of make it happen and still be able to produce in the passing game, but like they, they aren't going to give you any worries in the blocking game then go watch On because really he's a fun watch and one of the more dependable tight ends in this class for overall skill set. At number four, we got Josh Weil, and we talked about him in the mock draft that I had. I think this is someone that really could kind of get the attention of NFL scouts because he has a tremendous frame, stands about 6'6", I really think he might even be taller. He's just, he's so long, so lanky. And obviously, he needs to add weight. That's something that every team will want out of him. 6'6, 235 pounds. He probably needs to add about 15, 20 pounds, but he catches out of his frame extremely well. He moves around the field like a receiver. 28 catches over 10 games, 353 yards, and six touchdowns. If you are looking for you know, your tight end to kind of take the top off of a defense. Josh Wilde can absolutely do that, but he can run routes like a receiver. He moves extremely well around the field. I think this is someone that is going to get a lot of attention from the NFL because the potential is enormous. You know, obviously you want your guys that are going to come in and just be ready from day one, but there's plenty of teams that are willing to gamble on guys that maybe need a year to get to where they should be. And I think Josh wild is that now, Does that mean he can't contribute year one? No, I think he's absolutely going to be a nice receiving tight end from the first day he steps into the NFL. But you definitely need a little bit of growth in terms of play strength and in terms of just overall blocking. But what I see out of him as a receiver, what I see out of him in terms of just ability to adjust for the ball, I think this guy is an absolute stud. And I think when the NFL – Really starts leaking some of their plans a little bit more. We'll see this guy get a lot more attention across draft cycles circles. At number three, we got Jalil Billingsley. And this is going to be an interesting case of what does the NFL now want out of their tight ends? Because he's not really going to blow you away with size, but he is one of the better receiving tight ends out there. Stands about 6'4, 230 pounds, looks thin. You know, obviously he could add weight, but really he kind of looks like a receiver on tape and you're kind of watching it saying, okay, what does he do? That's tight end. And you know, he stays in line a lot. He will have moments where he's used as a blocker, but this is someone that is absolutely going to need to add weight. um, Someone that's absolutely going to need to be asked to develop more in the blocking game, but Alabama losing pieces like Jalen Waddle, losing pieces like Devonta Smith, losing pieces like Najee Harris, they are going to look for stars in their offense And while John Mechie is very talented, while there is always going to be an Alabama running back that's able to just dominate, I think Jaleel Billingsley could be the star of this Alabama offense this year and really probably one of the more productive pieces for that offense because, you know, you look at some of the games and some of the times when he really got relied on and he was able to put together some of the more impressive just overall opportunities and just playmaking ability. And now, you know, he heads into the season with, I think, expectations to be a star. And I think he's going to match him in the games that he played. He only played in seven games this past season. He had 18 catches, 287 yards, and three touchdowns. Doesn't blow you away. And I think, you know, there's a lot of projection here in terms of what he will become at the college football level. But I think the opportunity for him to thrive and really become something in this Alabama offense and then in turn get attention from the NFL will really happen because it's just always consistent with Alabama and Billingsley seems to be the next in line at number two, maybe a little bit of a surprise. I have Jalen Weidermeyer, the consensus number one tight end. And I really love him. This isn't a diss to Weidermeyer. I think he is absolutely a stud. Texas A&M has pieces all around this offense that are going to absolutely help out the new QB Haynes King in his spot I think Widermeyer is the go-to weapon, but they have pieces like Anaya Smith, pieces like Chase Lane, running backs Devin or Isaiah Spiller and Devin Arcane. The opportunity to really thrive at Texas A&M is there. You know, Baylor Cup could be healthy as well, but Widermeyer is the star of that offense. He's going to be the superstar that gets depended on by this passing game. Obviously, him versus Kenyon Green, I feel like is the big competition for who goes first. Money's on green, but I think the opportunity for both of them to go high is there. In 10 games, he put up 46 catches, 506 yards, and six touchdowns. That's receiving numbers. Like that's a that's a wide receiver stat line. And it's not like he's lacking as a blocker either. I think he could definitely develop in that regard, but I think there's plenty of promise there to where another year under his belt should be able to showcase that ability. I saw a comparison from Ryan Roberts that was just on the show for our QB episode. And he said, Jalen Watermeyer to Brandon Pettigrew. And I think that's a a very nice comparison. I think there's similarities there. And at the college football level, Pettigrew was an absolute stud. Expect Watermeyer to really have a superstar season and help Texas A&M compete for the SEC. The number one tight end on my list is Greg Dulcich out of UCLA, An absolute beast, in my opinion. One of the best receiving tight ends in this class. You watch his USC game, and he's able to really just do everything you could want out of your tight end. There's plenty of other UCLA film out there if you're able to find it. Stands 6'4", 242 pounds. Maybe not the most overwhelming in terms of size, but absolute ability to create and make plays in the passing game. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to make some major strides this year, and I think Dulcich is going to be a big part of that. In seven games last year, he had 26 catches, 517 yards, and five touchdowns. Dulcich is going to be relied on for UCLA. Him and Kyle Phillips are kind of the stars in the passing game for this season. Dulcich really has everything you could ask for out of a tight end in the passing game. The big question mark is, can he continue to develop in terms of run blocking strength? And, you know, I think he has the effort to succeed at spot. I think there's not going to be questions in that regard. But what teams will want to see is just continued base strength to be added to him, more physicality in his play. And with that, Dulcich could be the star tight end that I really expect to for him to be and possibly end up in that first round of discussion once the season comes to an end. So, Michael, obviously a lot
2: more depth at tight end this year, last year, it was just kind of a one man crew for the draft. I mean, uh, Pitts uh, Pitts obviously going in the top five of the draft. What do you think is the ceiling here for whoever the first tight end is picked off the board? Where would they go? And, you know, 10 tight ends here. What do you think the, the lowest guy ends up going in the draft? as far as round is concerned.
1: Yeah, I think for upside, we probably won't see anyone get the same love that Kyle Pitts did. But I do think that, you know, you're looking at guys that could very well be that mid first round pick. And, you know, if Weidermeyer or someone that offers that sort of athletic profile can step up, then we could see them go in that top 10, top 12. But in terms of lowest of this top 10, I think, The two guys that strike me as question marks for where they could go, maybe three, would probably be Jake Ferguson, Jeremy Ruckert, and Cole Turner. Uh, Ruckert and Ferguson, I think, are going to have question marks about, you know, questions over what they'll do with the NFL that really puts them up above because they're kind of more well rounded. Uh, Ruckert's a dependable blocker, and I think that will get him some love to where he's in that fourth, fifth round. But if he has a struggling season and maybe, you know, decreases a little bit as a blocker, doesn't take necessary strides as a receiver, then Ruckert's going to probably return to school or, if he does declare, find issues getting drafted. Uh, Cole Turner, I think, is someone that's very talented as a receiver, but you know we could see some issues come from that regard that you know he doesn't take those next steps and maybe has a little bit of a drop-off in production and he's left going back to Nevada. And then Ferguson, while he's well-rounded, I do think that maybe there's a question of what does he do that puts him over the top. You know what's his selling point as a prospect, and I love Ferguson. I think he has a very well-rounded skill set, but maybe you know the lack of one singular trait that sets him over the top could have scouts a little bit lower on him than us here at Destination Drafting. Who on this list
2: has to worry you the most about their lack of blocking skills, or perhaps their lack of willingness to block?
1: Yeah, I think if I were an evaluator, my question would be for Billingsley because, you know, if you're looking at a 6'6 guy that's unable to block, in your mind as an evaluator and as a scout, you're saying, oh, I can fix that, or, oh, we have coaches that can fix that. But if you're looking at someone who's 6'4", you know, already 230, let's say he adds weight, gets up 10 pounds, and he's still having issues as a blocker, then you're kind of starting to question, okay, you know, he doesn't have a lot of frame left to develop what are we going to be able to do to improve that? Now, I think Billingsley offers enough to where he could succeed on the outside as a receiver. That's just a lot bigger than everyone. But, you know, there's still question marks for him in terms of how much he needs to do as a blocker that maybe doesn't offer the same potential as someone that is standing 6'6", 6'5", and is still looking lanky.
2: How much do you buy into chemistry in the sense that Billingsley and Ruckert they're going to have new quarterbacks this year and the guys coming in are probably not going to be in the same level as Mac Jones and Justin Fields right away. So does it, could that, could that hurt them in the sense that maybe they are not going to be looked to as much or maybe do you think that's going to help them? Cause when in doubt, you know, throw it in the flat to the tight end.
1: Yeah. I think it goes both ways. Cause there's certainly a level of safety blanket that you'd expect out of a new starting QB, but at the same time, you know, these QBs have been in the system and they've maybe been working with other guys that are in that roster that maybe will have them kind of pushed over. So we'll see what happens. I think both should be able to kind of step it up, but Rucker, I think is kind of the bigger question mark because he already didn't necessarily have huge production working with Justin Fields as he really only put up about 13 catches. So if he, Continues to struggle, maybe even has a drop off in production. Then there's definitely going to be question marks about what Rucker can do in the passing game as a tight end.
2: About it, we have a comment from Samantha who says, "Hey, Jalen is great." Uh, Michael, we're both really high on Texas A&M going into this year. Uh, Absolutely, and I, I think I think that would kind of give him the uh, advantage over uh, the rest of the competition here perhaps. Um, I think he's definitely better than Billingsley, but if you're ever going between him and Dulcich for the top pick, UCLA is probably not going to be that good. So how much do you buy into, and we asked this boss the other day with, with the wide receiver, but how much do you think the team success would, would it go as far as the pick and the draft is concerned?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You kind of see that success – with great performances from these players just is huge for stock. You know, we see guys that perform in playoffs get a little bit of a bump in terms of draft grade because scouts are saying, look, you know, if you're able to do it on the big stage, that's huge for us. And we love that. And, you know, a team like UCLA who I think is going to outperform expectations probably is less likely to make playoffs than a team like Alabama or a team like Ohio state or a team like Oklahoma, and maybe even a team like Texas A&M, if they're able to really get that QB play that they need, and that's going to leave maybe some less opportunity for exposure. Now, Dulcich could still get the opportunity to go play in the Rose bowl or something. And maybe, you know, if the, if things go well, UCLA could be playing in the playoffs, but looking at it right now, I think the opportunity for the guys at the bigger schools absolutely are set up for more success. And, you know, guys like Billingsley, Stogner, Rucker, who are most likely going to be in playoffs come season end, are really set up to have dominant performances that will boost their stock more so than other performances that are out there.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what goes on. I guess real quick while we're just touched on the SEC, because we did talk about this the other day, We got the official news that looks like Oklahoma and Texas will be joining the SEC in 2025. So that means there's a lot more changes on the way. Uh, I think West Virginia they will be looking to get out of the uh, the Big 12 and Iowa State, and we'll see if they end up perhaps in the Big 10. But a lot of dominoes are going to be – falling here over the next year or two Michael.
1: Absolutely and I think even though the agreement is 2025 we will likely see the SEC try to buy it out to where Oklahoma and Texas could be playing in the SEC as early as next year and you know the opportunities for what will happen with that and then with the playoff expansion and everything you know we we keep I keep saying it but college sports are changing and I'm excited to see what happens obviously a little bit of a stickler for loving history of the game but you know, I'm also excited to see where this goes with college football and college sports as a whole.
2: Yeah, we got to factor in the name, image, and licensing uh, stuff as well here. Because if you're a player, I mean, <laughs> it's really not fair to a lot of these schools now because it's going to be like, well, I want to go to the SEC because I can make the most money on my name, image, and likeness going there. Uh, It's like, why am I going to go play in the Big 12 for for Baylor? I mean, maybe we'll go undefeated and and win the Big 12. We're not going to go to the playoffs. We're not going to win the championship. Might be better off going to Texas, losing four games, and I'll still be more well-known. So it's really going to be very touch and go here. And uh, (laughs) it's looking right now, Michael, the next big name in college football is going to be Cooper Manning's son, Eli and Peyton's Nephew, uh, looks like he's getting a lot of offers already. I think he's like, what is he, a sophomore in high school? It's crazy, but it looks like right now LSU is actually the favorite. But I'm sure Tennessee, Ole Miss, Clemson, Alabama—they're all they all trying to get after him. I don't know. do how you evaluate a freshman or sophomore <laughs> in high school. I really don't know.
1: Man, I I haven't done a lot of evaluation, but from the clips that I've seen of him, just off social media and stuff. He's definitely got an arm and uh, it'll be very interesting to see how he does in college football, but I expect big things out of him. I mean,
2: I read with the NIL stuff that he's going to be making like a million dollars before he even steps foot on campus, which is going to be wild and walking out a future Jets quarterback here, six or seven years
1: down the road. Yeah. I I think $1 million before he steps foot on campus is probably the the bare minimum. I think as the NIL grows, as this, market kind of opens up by the time he's eligible to really kind of get all those benefits. He's going to just absolutely be able to just run away with it. And really we could be seeing him a little bit sooner than people expect. We saw with Quinn Ewers, how he's talking about reclassifying Reclassifying. and becoming a potential college freshman. Now we could see Arch Manning take that same path. And I know uh, especially now as a sophomore in high school, there there's definitely a chance to kind of adapt and create that opportunity for him to graduate early and, we could see that become a very common trend for top prospects of the recruiting pool. Could you imagine? I mean,
2: obviously help will when he's a freshman in college. He'll start from day one, but could you imagine starting in the sec at the age of 17? <laughs> I mean, that's just wild right there.
1: Yeah. It's going to be crazy. We're going to see younger draft prospects as that happens. And, you know, we're going to start almost holding it against people that are, Doing all four years of high school, it seems crazy, but I don't know. It's the it's the way college sports are being set up now. I will say, I mean, I'm wondering wait, at some point maybe the three
2: or the three year rule goes away in college. I think that'd be a bad thing if they say, okay, after two years you can leave and go to the NFL. But uh, I'm sure that'll be on the plot on the table here with all the with everything changing.
1: Maybe uh, Arch Manning's going to be able to just declare out of high school, become the next LeBron James of football. He'll just, just sign straight with
2: Nationwide to do commercials for two years, <laughs> not even take a snap in college, be the first pick in the draft.
1: Well, that is all we have for you today on Test Station Draft Day. We hope you guys enjoyed our tight end analysis. And now on Monday, we head to the offensive line. We'll see you guys then, and we hope you have a great weekend. Take care.